At Operation Tango Romeo, we are on a mission to save lives and relieve pain by making help for PTS injuries easily accessible with a vision of a world where the path to recovery is clear. I am your OPSO, Mark Meinke, and this is Operation Tango Romeo, the Trauma Recovery Podcast. Hey, everybody. Today on the show, we have Dr. Angela Grace. Now, I goofed up on the recording a little bit, so we missed the intro for the show. Uh, To see the first few minutes of the show, you can watch the video version on facebook.com, on the Operation Tango Romeo page, or on my LinkedIn page. The easiest way to find it, though, is on the Operation Tango Romeo page on Facebook. So that has the first few minutes because I missed them. But uh, so this starts off talking about bees, <laughs> sort of an odd spot, but a really good conversation about an hour and a half and looking forward to feedback from it. So let me know what you think. Thanks for tuning in. I had, I had all my, I had my, I don't know, like 8,000 bees or something and they were all named Beatrice. <laughs> this is Beatrice number 1,652. I'd sit out there and meditate and watch my bees. <laughs> they were amazing. Well, so like, did you use that as a mindfulness practice with oh, yeah. the bees? Yeah. T- tell me about that. Well, I um, so in the spring and summer on nice days, I go outside in my yard and, and meditate, and I find something to meditate on, whether it's a flower or a plant or the roots of a tree. And when I had the bees, it was the bees. So what is it about the bees? Um. You know, sometimes it's it's like looking at the miracle of life in that mm. there's these little autonomous beings, literally beings, um, flying Ooh, around, doing bad. their job, like in this little community, in this box in your yard, it's just lets you reflect on the miracle of life. That's interesting. I was watching um, a video, I think it was yesterday, about a fella that does the super duper um like ayahuasca experiences kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And uh, uh, so he went to what he called the fifth dimension or some damn thing um, where he had access to, so it must've been one hell of a ride, but uh, mm-hmm. he, ha- he had access to all the information that you could want. So he just, mm-hmm. um, uh, as soon as he would think something, it would, it would, it would be happening. So I wonder what it's like to be a bee. Poof. He's, he's inside experiencing the life of a bee and it was all about the queen and he's buzzing around, you know, it's like, well, you know what? That's cool. I want that. I'm going to, yeah. I want to give that a go. I want to know what a bee feels like. Definitely. <laughs> you know, but it's, um, I've been on a sort of a kick lately, uh, about NDEs, near-death experiences. Mm-hmm. And there's a guy named Shaman Oaks. Mm-hmm. And I don't know what it is exactly, or maybe I do know what it is. It's um, First, it feels true, but it doesn't matter if it's true or not. Because well, and who it, are we to judge what is true for somebody else's experience? Th- that's it. It's, um, it's useful. Mm-hmm. So I don't care if it's a fact. It's, mm-hmm. I care that it's useful to not be scared of death. And if you're not scared of death, well how would you be wound up about anything, really? Mm-hmm. If death itself, um, that's memento mori, you know, always re- remembering our death. And um, by almost looking, like, I'm kind of looking forward to mine, to be honest. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, I'm looking forward to it. Like, what's on the other side, man? Mm-hmm. Peter Pan, it would be a great adventure. Mm-hmm. But um, uh, keeping that front of mind, 
it, it's such a useful tool for me to not be wound up about anything. And um, I mean, it still happens. But I, for human, it, it happens. Sure. But it's my centers that I can come back to. It's always about coming back to the center. You know, this human life knocks us around exponentially. <laughs> and as long as we can come back to our center, you know, you're going to be okay. I think that's the whole test, isn't it? You know, I, I do. I think so. I think first adulthood is getting over the trauma of your childhood. Because <laughs> <laughs> we do all the work have to a, get over that. Pretty much everybody has a fucked up childhood uh, story. Yeah. Oh, yeah, totally. That's why Freud would always so tell me about your relationship with your father. But but that's true. I mean, that is where it all starts, is your relationship with your parents, or mm-hmm. lack thereof. Yep, yep. Relationship with your parents, relationship with your family. I think of it as like concentric circles, in that we start as a human being being born into the world, and then we're surrounded by family, whatever their histories are, and then we go to these weird places called schools, where, and I call them weird because... Because parents put their kids in these in, in schools and it's like all these random kids and families coming together and they're just all expected to get along and learn. And do it exactly the same way. Well, not exactly the same way. I mean, there's lots of teaching strategies to help kids, but we're right. all expected to know how to socialize with other human beings. This is cer- certainly in my vintage, uh, what am I, I'm 51. Yeah. And uh, so when I went to school in the 70s and the 80s, oh my God, that sounds old. But, uh, I mean, that was definitely... I'm right there with you. You, you better fit there in the box. <laughs> like, this is the box, fit or fuck off. Mm-hmm. And, and, and that was it. Well, and, and it was interesting. Yeah, that's, that's, a whole other, that's a whole other story. Like, so I was labeled as gifted when I was in grade five. So it was like, should she, should she go to the next grade or should she skip a grade or whatever? But even though I was gifted and did all the right things, I did not fit in the box. So yeah. I was the one who had to fuck off. I was labeled as a slow learner, but, oh, yeah. but I'm actually mm-hmm. gifted. So mm-hmm. I was just bored. Yes. And so because of that, I failed grade four and grade nine. Yeah. So I didn't really fail those grades. Those grades failed me. Yes. You know, it's like, yeah. I don't get you, so I don't know what to do with you. Yeah. Um, <laughs> it's, uh, it's a curse either way. Yeah. You just don't fit. Yeah. I was basically working as a librarian since grade four because I get all my work done, and then they didn't know what to do with me, so they sent me to help the librarian. So, so I basically had a part-time job as a librarian since age nine. Uh, that's interesting. Everybody. I remember being in grade two, and, and they'd, uh, the books on the shelves were, were categorized by grade in the, in the little library in oh, Ardrossan. Yep. So uh, these are the books that you're allowed. So I'd look at the grade two books, and I'd be like, the fuck? <laughs> <laughs> you know, this isn't interesting. I go to the grade three and I'm like, I'd, I'd go to the end of the road and I'm like, uh, these are all boring as hell. Like, what else do you got? You got something more interesting? You know, like, like, what are you reading over there? Well, this is, you know, Shakespeare or some shit. Like, yeah, well, that's more interesting. And yeah. they're, they're like, uh, yeah, but nobody ever caught on. <laughs> well, the way our library was set up in, so I grew up in Veteran, Alberta. And uh, the way our library was Where? set up. Veteran? So it's by Concert, Coronation, East Central Alberta. East right. As a, that's a stop for some of the motorcycle uh, uh, rides for, for veterans, just because of the name. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I believe it is. Um, but the way the library was set up, they had all the adult romance books right by the exit. So us junior high girls would pretend to get our li- would sign out the regular library books, but we were too embarrassed to sign out the Harlequin romances, plus we weren't allowed. So we'd walk by there and shove some in our backpacks. 
with Fabio on the cover. <laughs> with Fabio on the cover, and they go out the door. Oh God, I hope you weren't reading Judy Bloom. Oh, that was grade five, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I found a Judy Bloom book once in the ditch, and I read it. I was like, "Ooh, this is hot." <laughs> Judy Bloom, yeah, definitely. Are like you, in grade are you there, six, God? it's me, Margaret. Mm-hmm. Grade six, grade seven, reading Judy Bloom. Yep. It's why like, not? I think they're talking about nipples. This is great. <laughs> <laughs> For a grade six, grade seven guy, that was that was oh, the yeah, best. That would have been illicit. Oh yeah. my God! It was almost as good as Hustler. <laughs> Find the occasional one of the. I don't know why they would be in the ditch. Like, like who is driving around with a hustler or a Jody Bloom book, and somehow it goes out of the window and into the ditch. But it did. Maybe it was like my guardian angels or something sprinkling little breadcrumbs for me to find. Yep. That's well, where we found these things. You know, we did. Oh yeah, we found. I used to do 4-H. Um, and <laughs> did you have, have a cow? Do, oh yeah. Oh yeah. And several, actually, for several years. And uh, we had to do 4-H highway cleanup as as community service. Yeah. And the hustlers and the playboys we'd found. Makes no sense. There. My, little, my nephew brought this bag to my aunt and said, I, th- I think these are dog toys. Um, <clears throat> oh, God. No. They looked like a bone. <laughs> well, it kind of is. <laughs> But who oh. throws this stuff in the ditch? What the fuck? <laughs> I don't know. It makes no sense. Nope. So apparently, oh, wow. it was I wasn't on some magical rural road where this happened. This happens it's everywhere. It, it happens everywhere. Oh yeah. Weird everywhere. sexual stuff ends up in the damn ditch. Yep. It, I don't get it. Nope. That that's a mystery. That I throw it, out a good Playboy. <laughs> So that's a mystery. And where did the other sock go? There was two socks that went into the dryer. One came out. Oh, always. It go, must be like going to another dimension or something. Yeah. Uh, They're in the fifth dimension. I, I think that's what it is. Yeah, I think that's where So it, when we ascend to the next dimension, we're going to find... Uh, There's going to be a whole bunch of fuzzy socks there. A bunch of socks and Hustler magazine. <laughs> Sorry, God. <laughs> <laughs> this is what humans do. This is what it gets. <laughs> Um, going through your bio and, and all the different stuff you do, you are a busy girl. You're, you're all over the, de- you're, you definitely don't fit in the box cause you're, you have the academic chops. No, I'm a star shaped, you know, can't <laughs> fit a star shaped person into a square box. No, it's, you, you poke the edges. Yeah. There's too much glitter there. It's <laughs> exactly right. Um, let's start with, uh, Hakomi. Uh, Hakomi mindfulness. What the hell is that? Okay, so let me start with how I came to it came to understand Hakomi. So I was in my graduate training, finishing my PhD, went to a workshop, or actually no, it was in my master's. I was speaking at a conference in Vancouver, and I went to this one this one workshop led by a woman who did EMDR, and she talked about Hakomi. And someone in the audience said, well, what's that? And she said, well, I'll give you a sample of it. So she said, everybody close your eyes. So go ahead, close your eyes. Okay, I'm in. Yeah, close your eyes and take three deep breaths down to the pit of your belly. And just let yourself settle into the chair. And uh, try to let your mind go blank, though it probably won't. I'm thinking about hustlers in the ditch. (laughs) Not, not helpful, but no, I'm not. that's okay. And notice what happens in your body, what sensations you get 
when I say the words, you're safe here. So what do you get? Felt grounded. Mm-hmm. So when she did that, you can open your eyes now. When, when I was she having did, a nice one. Yeah. Yeah, appreciate well, that. And, and so that's what Hakomi does is it goes deeper. But mm-hmm. my first experience was I did the breath, I got calm, and then she said, you're safe here. And I wanted to bolt out of the room. Interesting. I was so, like, I literally started to have a panic attack that I was not safe. And I thought, holy cow, if, if someone really nice says you're safe here and I don't feel safe, what is this? So then I went to a Hakomi introduction session that was a full day or full evening and then full day workshop just to learn more about it. And I was absolutely fascinated because through verbal prompts from the facilitator, you accessed a whole range of experiences in your body. And then we started to work through them. So if it's, you know, I feel, or you're safe here and a person doesn't feel safe, then you go into the experience and say, what is, what is happening inside of you that is not matching the outside of you? And so it was this range of training over a couple of years where it was really deeply accessing the inner part of you. And so it was interesting, like in my realm as a psychologist, there were some clients that I started to notice that I felt frantic and unsafe with. And it always turned out that there was some type of issue that they really were not a safe person. Um, <clears throat> you know, for for example, one, one gentleman, uh, I was sitting there and I was like, something, I just don't feel right with him. Like, I noticed that if my, if he was on my schedule for the day, I would wear a black, I would wear a black turtleneck, black pants, black shoes, just like protecting myself. And then one day it, one day it came out that he had sexual feelings towards me and was about to attack me. And so I did not feel safe. And there were other areas where I'm like, something's just not quite right here. And then sure enough, it would turn out that they were involved in something dangerous or something illegal that all of a sudden I was supposed to be there their psychologist and keep everything confidential. Of course I did, you know, of course I work within my realm, but I would fire them as clients. Yeah. And so for me as a psychologist, it, it first became learning Hakomi developing myself so that I could be grounded and calm and use my emotional and physical sensation experiences to help clients better. Um, and then in terms of a human being, it was, it was working on me and understanding why I didn't feel safe in the world, why I felt like I constantly had to observe and be hypervigilant and like look after everybody. So it was both a personal experience that developed me um, into becoming a better therapist um, and, and acknowledging when I don't feel safe in the world. I don't know how anybody could be a good therapist if they haven't traveled it the path themselves. You know, it seems like a lot yes. of people get into the field because they're trying to figure themselves out, mm-hmm. and that's why they get into the field. Mm-hmm. But um, because of the position that I have in this world, mm-hmm. uh, I get a lot of stories, mm-hmm. and uh, plus my own stories mm-hmm. with uh, w- with therapy. And there's a like anywhere else, there's a lot of really unaware therapists who are, who don't know who they are. 
And if they, if you don't know who you are, you can't truly empathize with others. And, um, that's got to be a struggle within your profession, but also an opportunity for those that are connected Mm -hmm. so that, um, when somebody's been to eight other therapists and then just never seems to work out, they find somebody like yourself and they're like, Oh, okay. I'm glad I kept looking. Well, first I'd like to just apologize to all of my clients in my first couple of years of being a therapist. Cause I am way better now than I was <laughs> 20 years ago. So I really sincerely hope I helped you in some capacity, but if you came back now, it would be a totally different experience. <laughs> Well, because you're a different person, right? I'm a different person. It's all about increasing your level of awareness. Yeah. And well, and if you if you think about going through school, initially it's very cognitive. You're trying to learn all these theories. You're trying to learn these techniques. You're trying to make sense of how this field works. And this is how this is how any field works. If I were to go into medicine, it would be all very heady. And trying to memorize everything. And it's only after time with the deepening of experience that you can settle in. Even if someone else is completely frantic, you can settle in and know that there's, you can hold space, that there is a better way of being. That there is a more holistic way of being. And that the struggles that a person is going through is a part of that process. Through your school all the way to to a PhD, Mm -hmm. was there any part of that that um, focused on the individual, like on yourself and self-exploration? Was that even part of it? Or is it just, no, here's the knowledge, learn it? So when I took my master's, there was the recommendation that if you're going to be a psychologist, you should go to counseling. And so I did go to counseling. Um, And I'll say it wasn't particularly helpful. Like some things were helpful, but I realized now it was a lot of, <clears throat> excuse me, a lot of like CBT, cognitive behavioral therapy, where it was you can control your emotions by controlling your thoughts. And so I worked really, really, really hard at that. I'm like, I've got a Think, you know, feel, do idea. Yep, think, feel, do. And after time, I realized that was not the approach for me. I had to go into the feelings. Because if you think about our reptilian brain, for like we're constantly scanning to see if we're safe or if we're not safe. And if something in the reptilian brain says you're not safe anywhere, then there are no thoughts in the world that can control that. There is only going into the feeling and and letting that sensation inform you and educate you and then let it go into a deeper state. Intrusive thoughts are such a bitch. Like they're so tough. Oh my gosh. Oh my gosh. They're so hard to deal with. And there's so many things that come with, with the intrusive thoughts, guilt for having them in the first place. Uh, what, Although I'm going to challenge you on that sure. one because guilt is when you've done something wrong, you know, you've done it wrong and you need to make amends. Shame is when you feel you are wrong. Mm. So it's actually not guilt over the intrusive thoughts. It's shame. Interesting. Mm-hmm. And, and you figure it's important to make that delineate that delineation between guilt and shame. Well, I think shame is a lot deeper because guilt is about the action and shame is about a sense of being. Mm. And if you feel ashamed for being, feel ashamed for thinking, feel ashamed for feeling what you feel, then it's, you know, Brene Brown's got it, got it right. Like we need to move from shame to empathy and compassion for ourselves. So when you have intrusive thoughts, thoughts that things that you would never actually do, mm-hmm. um, but you don't like that it's even in your head. Mm-hmm. Um, what's the best way to deal with that? Well, I, 
I use the analogy of telemarketers. Mm. We don't we don't get a phone call and engage in every single telemarketing conversation. We're like, no, thank you. So literally, I use it like a boomerang and just say, no, thank you, and bye-bye. Like, literally just like swatted away like a mosquito. Now, if a person has serious PTSD and the intrusive thoughts are non, non-stop, then there's definitely other, other treatments and other things that we need to do to help calm that down. But for my own self, I try to think of it as like, no, bye-bye. I was Not asked um, just recently, and I gave, I'll tell you what my answer was, but I was asked about intrusive thoughts of suicidal ideations. Mm. And uh, at what... Oh, I have stories about that. <laughs> well, we're going to talk about yeah. it. Uh, and at what point should it be a concern? Because uh, I, I attempted suicide in July. Mm-hmm. Uh, didn't see it coming. I had a disassociative episode. So in my head, I wasn't connecting the dots. I wasn't thinking, oh, I'm done. I I don't want to be here anymore. I was thinking uh, my brain found a way around it because I had checks and balances. It's like, because no, this is something I'll never fucking do. Mm -hmm. Uh, Then I tried. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, What my brain did instead when I was in a really nasty state uh, and I was using all my tools, trying to get sorted, and none of my tools were working. Mm-hmm. You know, it was like having That's a de- devil on one shoulder. Complete overwhelm. Uh, and, and an angel on the other, and they were screaming at each other. I could hear the two conversations, and then the angel didn't win. And uh, mm-hmm. so uh, th- the voice was, was saying, hey, I wonder what the inside of your, you know, it feel pretty cool to open up your wrist. You know, what a neat, it would be like a tattoo or something. Like, don't you want to know what that feels like? Yeah, yeah, I kind of do. And imagine the blood coming out. It would just oh, be it's enticing. What a wonderful sensation, you know. And uh, then I tried, and the damn knife wouldn't do it. I was pushing and scraping. It was like some kind of miracle. My wrist would not open up for nothing. And uh, and then I just kind of snapped out of it. And it took about it took hours mm-hmm. to be, before I realized what I had just done, mm-hmm. what I had just tried to do. Mm-hmm. But um, the the intrusive thoughts though of uh i thought i had them like i thought i I, even though they were every damn day i thought i was good yep but i wasn't good we're never we're never totally free from them because we have to be vigilant and guard our minds that's it so when i was asked like how at what point should suicidal thoughts be a concern i said if you're having if it crosses your mind more than once a month go get a therapist. But um, I probably shouldn't have answered it that way because I don't know the answer. Well, and I don't, I don't know the answer either. When, I guess when, when the edge is, it's turning into when you don't feel like you can overcome that thought. Um, that would be the edge. So I've got a few stories um, around that that, that are, are personal to me. I'm going to share with you first. Yeah. Um okay. The first time I asked for help because I thought I was getting too close to the edge, mm-hmm. I'm going to tell you what happened to me, and I like your feedback on it, because okay. all I get is shock and awe from other professionals I talk to. Okay. So the therapist I was working with at the time, um, I, I said, hey, I'm having these intrusive thoughts, these suicidal ideations, and I'm starting to get really worried, because not only can I not get rid of them, mm-hmm. um, they've been dogging me like you can't even believe, but it feels like I'm getting closer to the edge, and but I I can't gauge how close I am to jumping off that edge. Mm-hmm. You know, I don't know, but I'm getting concerned that something could happen to push me off the edge. Mm-hmm. And it feel it like I feel like I'm on a precarious perch here. 
And uh, what she said to me, uh, almost verbatim, as like because opening up the wrist was how I pictured it. Mm-hmm. And then, what do you know? That's what I tried. Uh, but um, she said, "Well, whatever uh, whatever knife you imagine using, uh, you know your favorite knife. Just hide it. And um, and if you haven't done it yet, you probably won't." I'd say that's a pretty trite answer to a very serious situation. <laughs> so I asked for help, and that's what I got. Um, and then, sure enough, uh, I, uh, something uh, happened because of an event that, uh, that happened in, the, in um, this summer mm-hmm. that uh, did push me over mm-hmm. and uh, mm-hmm. put me in a state of overwhelm. And what do you know? I actually tried. Yeah. Uh, Still surprised. I guess I shouldn't have been surprised, but I was surprised. I didn't think I would ever try, but I did. And um, and that was after I went to a therapist for help to say, "Hey, I'm a little concerned here." (laughs) So yeah, from there, go ahead. Well, so one one experience I had, I was going through a divorce, and it was I was so overwhelmed. It was awful. It was tragic. I just I just couldn't couldn't regulate myself, and I considered suicide. And so I told my therapist that, and she was a Hokomi therapist. And I said, I, f- I feel like I just want to die. And she says, okay, go ahead and die. I'm like, what? She said, seriously, lie down on the floor, pretend you're in your grave and die. So I did. I laid down on the floor and I imagined being in a grave and I laid there and then my body started to relax. And I was like, oh, this actually is an option for me. But then I started to realize I didn't want to die. I just wanted to feel better. Mm-hmm. And so that was it. That was the realization for me is that people who express suicidality, they just want to feel better and, and the overwhelm is greater than the coping. Um, so I've had a few experiences like that. I think if, you, I think if you're human, you consider consider death and if and if some situations in life are completely overwhelming and there's it seems like there's no way out that that does seem possible it does seem plausible but it also means you don't get to live anymore so my thought is how about we figure out a way out of this horrific situation and focus on the life that you actually want to live um so several years ago, I was like, again, still going through the divorce, still going through a really hard time with grad school. Just I'd move, moved to Calgary. I was overwhelmed. I was walking my dog. And all of a sudden, the thought went through my head. I could just take my dog leash and hang myself on that tree right now. And I was like, whoa, where did that come from? It was literally this free floating thought. Yeah. I could just take my leash take the leash and hang myself right now. And I was like, whoa, okay, no. And then I went home, but I, I, w- I was baffled by it. I was like, why? Where the hell did that why, come from? Why that thought? But a couple days later, one of my friends hung herself. So I had picked up her thought from our connection together. My friend committed suicide. And I was absolutely devastated because... I realized I was on that brink and I picked up her thought and it's not that I was going to do it, but the thoughts were there 
And so that sent me into taking some time off work, looking, you know, doing some deep healing work, looking after myself. Um, and then getting over like her suicide. And then a couple of years ago, my husband and I had gone up to, we were camping. We, we decided to go up to Northern BC. So we were on our way to Nelson, BC, and we were camping. We found this gorgeous little camp spot. It was beautiful. Like I went for a little walk and there were like 16 different varieties of mushrooms. And it was just this amazing wonderland. And the next day, so we camped there a night or we camped there two nights. And then the next day I woke up and I was like, I could just go drown myself in the lake right now. And I'm like, what? Where did that, that come Where did from? That, I'm happy. Like, I'm happy. I'm camping with my husband. It's awesome. Like, I'm, I'm great. And then the torrent of thoughts. Well, you could go run, in, run through the woods and get lost and, and maybe jump off a cliff and die. Or you could put yourself on the highway and a truck could run over. Like, it was this barrage of thoughts of how I could kill myself. Yeah. And, but I, I was confused because I was actually happy. Like, I was happy. But yet there was this barrage of thoughts. And I went out into the woods, like I, you know, we were on this little hike and I, I just remember running away from my husband into the woods, finding a patch of sunlight and just screaming, like just screaming, get away from me. Like, you know, you know, God, please help me. Like I was desperate. I'm like, God, please help me. Like, get this away from me. This is not me. And then it was gone. The thoughts were gone. So the next, but I was still baffled by it. So the next day I went into town and I ended up talking with this woman at the grocery store and I said, okay, you don't know me, but, and I'm going to ask you a very weird question. I said, are there a lot of First Nation suicides here? Uh, and she looked at me and she said, there was one yesterday. And you were picking up on it. I picked up on the thoughts. So then I spoke with um, another for First Nation, she's not an elder, but she's a First Nation teacher, Dr. Carly Fellner, who does a tremendous amount of First Nation healing work. And I talked to her about it. And she said the same thing happened to her from another, from another young client insisted on committing suicide. And there is a spirit of suicide that lands on vulnerable ears and tries to convince you to do things. It really is like... And, it is a spirit. And, and I've, I've explained it like that, like an angel on one shoulder, yes. a devil on the other, just like the old yes. uh, Looney Tune cartoons. Uh-huh. That, it's it's real. And mm-hmm. even if it's... It's real. Uh, even if somebody is resistant and thinks, oh, that's just fucking woo-woo, well, that's fine. Fine, you can think that. But it, 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 framing it that way, whether it's literal or not, is still useful. That's what I try to tell people yes. about uh, the idea of God. Um, it doesn't matter how you frame it or what you think God is, or if you confuse God with religion, which is probably the number one thing that, that the happens. number one mistake. Yeah, it, it, it's not the same thing. It's not the same thing. Um, you know, the, it, it's always the same comment. It's like, well, I don't believe in the bearded man in the sky. You know, I believe in the Big Bang. I'm like, it's the it same. Matter. It it's doesn't the matter. It doesn't matter. It's the same thing. Uh, I believe in science. I've experienced it. It's the same thing. It's not separate the 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 creation theory and evolution are not separate they're, they're the not same separate. how and how i explain it to my to my husband's boys is god created the universe and human science is trying to explain it yeah and it's the same thing it's the same it's like a baby experiencing the awe of a butterfly 
but they don't have the words for it. They just know it's this pretty thing dancing in the air. It's just a visual sensation. I think it, part of the confusion is people's uh, ability to understand allegory. Mm-hmm. You know, like, I don't know how much of the Christian Bible is uh, is on and how much is misinterpreted and how much is complete rubbish. I have no idea what the split is and w- in which part. Um, I don't believe every single word of it is the exposed word of God. But uh, but there's good stories. Stu- but it's stories. It's there's stuff stories in there. designed to help us humans. That's right. And the story of Adam and Eve is not meant to be taken literally. It's, it's allegorical. Yes. You know, and... Um, uh, simple math will tell you that. You can't take two people and, mm-hmm. and their kids went to the city. Well, where did all those people come from? You know, it, it, it's allegorical. There's lessons within it. And uh, if you're just looking at things on the surface, well, okay, that's what you're able to do. But just understand that you don't understand. Exactly. There's a depth that you're missing. Well, I was I was raised Catholic, so very strict, very strict Catholic church every Sunday, and so you always felt guilty about everything. Always, yeah, always feel, always feel shame. <laughs> I go to hell. Always feel shame about. Well, I, <laughs> I became terrified that I was unintentionally going to break the Ten Commandments. <laughs> that I was unintentionally going to steal something. It was yeah, pretty funny. But I remember this one Bible story that always baffled me as a kid, and it's um, it's easier, it's easier to um. It's easier to pass a camel through, through the, the eye, eye of, of a needle, needle than for a rich man to get into to heaven. heaven. Yeah. So I just remember being baffled by that as a kid. And then I was talking, you know, laughing with a friend of mine about but, it. But the caveat on that, right? Yeah. So it says that, but, it, and, but there's a but. But anything is possible in, uh, in the kingdom of heaven. Yes, that's true. But I, I was stuck on putting a camel through a needle because <laughs> I knew how hard it was. And then I learned that... The word for camel is the same as coarse yarn. So I never knew that. It was just a misinterpretation. Like it was just a misinterpretation. Yeah. And then I learned from a Jewish friend that there is actually, and I'm going to say this badly because I don't know the whole, the geology, but there's apparently a rock formation that is called the eye of the needle where it's two huge rock formations and then it's barely wide enough for a camel to pass through. So it actually is a, a, a geographical location. And so if I think about the evolution of a kid being confused with the image of a camel going through a needle, and then the adult interpretation of getting through a really tight spot, then the story is there. I wonder what the story is about um, uh, the dude in the mouth of the great fish. You know, like, oh, yeah. uh, I've never got like, what the hell's like, I know it's allegory, but people take it literally. It's like, no, 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 he, he was in this fish. Yeah. And, I, <laughs> and, and you know, for days. Yeah. And I was like, oh, God. I can't answer that, I, but there's. Yeah. I don't know what the story is there, but I, it's, it's not literal. It's an yeah. interpretation. I don't know what it means, but it's not that. It's not that. It's exactly. not that. Exactly. So if we, yeah. And then. It's been interesting having the blend of psychology, because I'm a, you know, trained psychologist, very CBT-oriented classical psychology, and then in my own life, you know, with the with the PTSD that I experienced and the trauma I experienced, there is and the insomnia, which makes you feel crazy. I remember there was one night where I couldn't sleep and I was feeling horrible, and it was a full moon and I was looking at the moon and I just was like, can I just have my soul back, please? Like, where, where's my soul? 
And I started doing this like pulling motion from the moon, just, can I have my soul back? And then I started to feel better and I could sleep. Hmm. And I was like, what is this? So I did what every good psychologist does is I Googled soul pulling. <laughs> I didn't know what Do, I was doing, doctor, but I felt Dr. Better. Google's got the answers. Dr. Google. And I came across Sandra Ingerman's work on soul retrieval, which then led me into core shamanism. And so core shamanism, um, shoot, I can't remember his name. I can't remember the anthropologist who, it'll, it'll come to me in a minute, but he's an anthropologist who studied shamanism across the world and filtered the rituals down to core rituals that, that are across all of the shamanic um, practices. Help, help me define shaman and shamanism. Okay, so shamanism is an ancient healing practice from around the world. And it's like separately without communicating to each other, many different um, indigenous cultures around the world had medicine men and medicine women and healers. And they used a very spiritual approach of connecting the spiritual realm to heal and learn the medicines to heal people. And so it is an ancient practice of connecting of healing through connecting with spirits. And when you say the medicines, we're talking about psychedelics probably? Uh, no, different, different types of medicines. So, um, so like plant medicines, um, knowing what elderberry is for, knowing what hawthorn is for, knowing what, um, you know, knowing what rose is used for. So the healing properties of plants. In, and so some shamans, yes, use, use psychedelics. And, it, and that also depends on what area of the world they're from. So like in Gabon, in Africa, it would be Iboga. In Mexico, it would be peyote. Um, in other places, it's the use of psilocybin. But shamanic, shamanic work doesn't just involve psychedelics. It involves connecting with spirit. And so the work, the training and the work I've done is realizing, um, so first of all, taking the accreditation to say that, yes, I have the, I've been trained by a shaman. I have the ethics behind me. I know the practices. I know the good work it can do. I know when to step away from it. Um, and then I realized I've naturally done this since I was a little girl. Like I just knew things. I knew things. I'd talk about it and people would be like, what? But then it would happen. So I naturally had that ability, but I just, but in this world. It gets crushed. It gets crushed. Yeah, and unless so, unless you chose the right parents, or not the right. I not mean, right every, every, everything's yeah. everything's the right. Yeah, like everything yeah. everything's what we chose, right? And when we made the soul, and sorry, my my audience doesn't hear me talking about this stuff uh, very often. Probably, actually, this might be the first time. Okay, but I uh, just last night I had a download. Um, last night, one hell of a download that that raised me up a couple of notches, mm -hmm. uh, and had me some. Uh, I understood what the cruci crucifixion story was about, because mm -hmm. uh, I've never understood absolution through substitution, because that's not what it is. Mm -hmm. And now I understand it. At least I think I do. And uh, so I had this download last night that not to dance around or avoid or diminish um, the spiritual, because the spiritual is all there is. Um, 
I agree. It, 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 they're just what we are. We are the spiritual. We are beings of eternal beings of light. That's what we are. That's what we so, are. Downloaded into these human bodies. So I'm not going to avoid that anymore. Good for you. You know, I'm Me not. Either. I'm not going to avoid the truth because it, it it is the truth. Mm-hmm. And and again, some people but, just don't know it yet. Th- that's right, and, and that's okay. And even if you and I are are buck nuts and delusional, that's cool because it works. Well, and we're also functional in our human lives, so what does it matter? It's good. What does it matter what a person's spiritual beliefs and practices are, as long as you show up as kind? Yeah. It, that, That's fuck, it. That, that is fucking it. That is it. the bottom line. Don't be a dick. There you go. I've got other words for that, but yes, yeah. be a dick. Yeah. <laughs> Don't be a douche. <laughs> Just be kind, because it doesn't matter what you believe and about you know any politics, about anything. And Just be can- kind. If you can't be kind, go have a nap. Like, if you're not fit for human consumption, just go have a nap. (laughs) (laughs) My husband knows if I'm not fit for human consumption, I am curled up under a blanket with my dog. That is it. Leave me alone. Do you need a Snickers? (laughs) (laughs) Right. (laughs) It's true. I, um... I forget where we were, but uh, <laughs> I, I, I was talking about, oh, choosing parents. So my belief is, and I've never shared this on the show before, but uh, get used to it because this is the way I'm, I'm shifting gears. Um, we all came from source. We're all a part of source. Mm-hmm. You're God. I'm God. There's still a separate Godhead mm-hmm. um, that, 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 that is what we think of. The creator. It's creator. As the creator. Mm-hmm. And, but we, like, so that's in the center, but all around that is us mm-hmm. and uh, and all over the universe. Well, that's where the Big Bang comes in. We were all one in the light, yeah. and then the Big Bang separated us all, and we're all just wanting to go home. Th- th- that's it? We're all just walking each other home. That's it. So don't be a dick. Don't be a dick. That's what uh, Dr. Jody Carrington says. We're all just walking each other home. Yeah. And that's exactly right. Yeah. You know, um, and it's true, and, and I believe, and uh, there's a few spiritual folks that are saying that right now, like today, mm-hmm. is the day for the Great Awakening. And uh, the big download I got last night, I'm like, oh, thank you. Thank you for the downloads. Like, mm-hmm. oh, here it is, the Great Awakening, it's happening. Because mm-hmm. I just, um, my level of awareness went up a couple of notches. Mm-hmm. And Well, and that's, and that's what downloads are. Are there personal insights on your own life? That didn't make that you weren't ready for before, mm-hmm. right? And so it is. It's a it's a download that says, "Hey, like it's that inkling inside of you that says, do this, don't do this.'" Like, and I people call it gut or yeah, or gut instinct in, or yeah, gut instinct, intuition. But as long as it's connected and and leads you to a better place, then then that's great. Well. Listening to your instincts is better than listening to your fear. Yes. Because right now the whole planet's listening, well, a big chunk of the whole planet is listening to their amygdala. Mm -hmm. And your amygdala is a fucking asshole. You know, Mm -hmm. it's great in emergency situations. You need it. Uh, As a soldier, we are trained to use it because it's amygdala or die. These Mm -hmm. are your choices. Mm -hmm. Um, If you have a problem, kill it. Mm -hmm. But... You get used to using those neural pathways, 
Mm-hmm. And uh, the if you have a problem, kill it, comes into the rest of your life. Mm-hmm. You don't think it is because you're not cognizant of it because you don't have the mindfulness to realize that's what you're doing. But when you're road raging, when you have no tolerance for anybody that's annoying you or, or pissing you off. That's your amygdala. That's yeah. your amygdala. And if you've been primed for it, like I was primed for it with childhood sexual assault. Oh, like, Jesus. So at the, the age of 12, 12, assaulted by a priest. And Why has it always got to be a fucking priest? I don't know. Well, because... <laughs> Yes, it does. Men in, pa- men in power who are supposed to be celibate, of course it happens to priests. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, um, so I didn't realize until a couple of years ago, like that I'd literally been primed my entire life to scan, am I safe, am I not safe? Am I safe, am I not safe? And no situation ever felt safe. So I've been driven by, by, my, by my amygdala. But it's also served me really well in in becoming more aware, in doing the Hakomi work, in doing the spiritual practices, the shamanic work, um, and EMDR practices that, and of course yoga as well, like to just, that basically my senses are heightened, and I'm very aware, and I know how to calm it down now. Yeah. Whereas as a kid, I didn't, I didn't have any idea. So it, it really is about learning you know, it's so interesting to me. Like, I basically, I went, so I didn't even tell you how I came into psychology. I used to be a grade one teacher. So I was a grade one teacher. And one year, a group of my little girls started a diet club and they were trying to lose weight. Well, how, in grade one, in grade one, that breaks my heart. So, how I coped with my trauma was developing anorexia in, in junior high. So, I felt better if I was in total control of my food. I felt better if I was starving. I felt because I didn't have to feel anything, yeah. right? So when I saw these little girls doing that, I wanted to help prevent it. So I went into the field of psychology for eating disorder prevention, and that's and that's what I've that's what I focused on. But interestingly, in my spiritual work and the downloads that I've gotten, is this isn't actually my field, because I'm basically redoing my trauma. Like I'm prevent I'm. Like, yes, it's part of my field, and I will, I will always continue to do it because I'm highly skilled in it. But it's not my main purpose for being here. So if I go deeper than the trauma and the eating disorder, like, I'm, you know, I'm meant to be creative. I'm meant to be a healer. I'm meant to, you know, be, be a therapist. But it's deeper than one issue of an eating disorder it's i don't care what the issue like i don't i don't care what the behaviors are that have led to this let's heal the trauma so that people can be more whole and loving and giving and compassionate and kind to themselves and to others in their lives this is the key to the whole planet you know uh trauma and ego uh, oh. it's, 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 that's it. Like the root of all, yeah. one of the books I want to write is, uh, the root of all assholes is ego or the devil, you know, yes. I would call it. Um, but I would it, read that book, but it's, it's ego and it's, uh, well, it's on, it's on the list. Yeah. Uh, uh, right now I'm writing, um, uh, three small steps, mm-hmm. uh, which is, and I, that also came in the download last night. So I'm, I've been struggling with it, but now I know. Yeah. And I'm just in the phase of editing my book, Butterfly Exile. Tell me about that. Oh well, it's just it's the story. It's the story of my life experiences and the trauma I've gone through, the spiritual awakening, um, and it's all it. 
basically I had, <laughs> I had to write this book. This book haunted me. It was there. It was like, write this book, write this book, write this book. So it's been about, well, I mean, it's been a lifetime of writing. I'll help you with the endorsements. Sweet. So let me know That's when you amazing. have the, uh, ready with the galley copies. Okay. When you have the galley copies. Uh, uh, um, uh, I won an International Literary Award for Contributions to Human Potential. So I'll, I'll do a, uh, an endorsement for you. Amazing. And with, I will with, let you know. With that title. Amazing. And uh, in, introduce you to some of the people in my circle. Sweet. That sounds amazing. Yeah. But, well, it's about the endorsements for, for, for book marketing. Yep. Fantastic. Know. Love it. Um, because I firmly believe that we need to tell our stories to help other people. But the kicker is you have to be healed from your story. Yeah. As much as possible to be able to help others. Otherwise, you're just perpetuating issues. Like I think about people who tell their story over and over and over and over and over. Well, it's not particularly helpful. But they're still mad about it or they're yes. still sad about it. Or, or yeah, they haven't they're still free- paranoid about it. Or they haven't forgiven. Exactly. Uh, that was my download last night. Yeah. Uh, uh, Jesus on the cross was a lesson in forgiveness. Yes. That's, that well, was the whole fucking thing. And, and that's what, you know, that's what towards the end of my book is, is the, is the absolute forgiveness that it mattered, but it doesn't matter now. The, that it's a memory and a residue that is mm, left from being human, but you don't have to keep it. The, f- Without the forgiveness, you're stuck in the past. Yes. If you're stuck in the past, you're not in the present. If you're not in the present, you're not being you. Mm-hmm. Because you don't exist in the past and you don't ex- exist in the future. You only exist in now. The yep, right now. So if you're not in the now, you're not in alignment with yourself. You are not you. Mm-hmm. If you're not you, you're at dis-ease. Mm-hmm. The, more you're, the less you are yourself, the, the, it feels like shit. Yes. You know, yeah. so part of being yourself is to not give power to ghosts of the past, to not give power to your abusers, to to pray for them, and and if you can, love them. Well, but, and still not take any shit. It, it, yeah, like, it's, it, it's not being a pushover. No, like, like the... I am the, not a fucking pushover. No, like the abuses <laughs> of my past, you don't get to be in my life. Yeah. And if I forgive you, I wish you well. Now, if you knew better, you'd do better. If you knew better, you'd do better. Which is what Jesus I said. In divine justice. Forgive them, for they know not what they do. Right. So if Christ, an enlightened being, mm-hmm. uh, can forgive people that are, that are sticking them to a fucking cross, mm-hmm. right, then we can forgive anything for anybody. Mm-hmm. Uh, but we've th- got to work through the process. Uh, Theo Fleury's been on the show. For, he's a friend. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's been on the show like four times. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Graham James raped him 150 times and not only has theo forgiven him right he feels bad for him and uh mm-hmm. because theo's life's a hell of a lot better than gray and james life and um and he's even and this is the next level shit mm-hmm. he's even grateful for the trauma as am i i'm grateful for all the traumas oh, and, yeah and, I, and that's some next level shit i see but how, it's possible mm-hmm. i see how all of my traumas and the healing of them have led me to be here now. now every, every one of them. Now I can be an advocate in court for girls and women who, and, and men who've been yeah. sexually assaulted. I understand the trauma of going through legal action and being questioned as the perpetrator yourself. Like it is devastating. For all the people out there that just heard what we just said, but you are the victimizer, 
do not take this as license to be an abuser. It doesn't make it okay. Hundred percent, no. Don't <laughs> it, be a dick. If you're if you're a fucking pedophile or or anything on that list, uh, it does not make it fucking okay. It doesn't. Just because I'm grateful for the traumas I've been raped and molested, all the nine years, like mm-hmm. all of it, mm-hmm. and and me saying I'm grateful for those traumas does not give you license to uh, feel no, better. You should about be doing. arrested. No, yeah, uh, like there there will be justice for that. Yeah, like uh, eat a bullet, do something, get out of this world, like fuck off. I mean, still follow the still follow the Ten Commandments and the yeah, law, the yeah. the spiritual laws of being a good human. Yeah. It, it, and that's that's the biggest hang up right there with with forgiveness, right? Is people go, well, I I, I don't want to give them license to say that it was okay. It's like that's not that's no, it's not no, what it is. Forgiveness releases you. It releases you. It, it releases you. It takes power away from them and mm-hmm. gives it taking your power back by forgiving. Yep, yep. And forgiveness is hard. Oh, like, it's it brutal. Is, it is a hard process because, like what you said, at the, what we talked about at the beginning with intrusive thoughts, you ping pong back and forth between the good things, the bad things, and you have to come back to you have to come back to yourself, come back to the middle. Like I've been, I've you know, a couple male colleagues um, <laughs> stepped over a line and now could now have police reports against them. Oh um, Jesus, that's more so than stepping over. Will the line. I ever? Oh yeah, wait, step over the line. Um, but. I forgive them, but will I ever talk to them again? No, get the fuck away from me. Oh, yeah. Like, yeah. Now you're, you have zero license to have anything to do with me. No. Uh, forgiven, right. forgiven doesn't mean that you keep them in your life. No. Uh, no, 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 no. But it just means I'm released from it, and that's your fucking problem, not mine. Yeah, you're a piece of shit, and that's fine. I hope one day you're not. Yes. There. That's it. Yeah. Yep. And that's it. And there's a, I can't remember the name of the book, but there's a beautiful book um, by Desmond Tutu and his daughter about forgiveness. Mm. And I'm working my way through that right now just to get, you know, I call it standing on the shoulders of giants. If there's someone who's gone before you and healed in a, in a way that you need, then you need to lean on them. So forgiveness is self-love. It's part mm-hmm. two of, um, uh, the book that I'm developing. So step yeah. one is know yourself because once you understand who you actually are, mm-hmm. it's much easier to care about that person. Yes. So step exactly. one is know yourself. Step two is love that person. Yeah. Step three is act accordingly. Yep. And it's and they all work together. I uh, came up with a graphic last night in, in my download of three concentric circles. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And interlinked. Interlinked. And in the center, that little dot, mm-hmm. that's where you need to be. Mm-hmm. So what you've just done is drawn the start of sacred geometry. Yes, that occurred to me last night too. Yep. How yeah. everything is interconnected. Like you know the you know when you close your eyes and see patterns or you press on your eyeballs and you see <laughs> patterns? Yeah, those are portals to different worlds. Those are that yeah. is sacred geometry right there. Have you ever done uh, um psilocybin? Um yes. It's so great. I still it got is, I got got some more that I've uh, got to finish off. The the geometric shapes that I've, I get by are the way, incredible. I don't, I don't I don't do or promote anything as a psychologist without having experienced profound healing from it myself. Right. Mm-hmm. There must be quite the contrast between all the years of education in, in this, the system, mm-hmm. you know, to give you your credentials so that, um, uh, so that you can practice and all, this, um, all the other stuff that you're doing, all the holistic stuff. There must be a real clash there. 
For me, there's not a clash because what I do is I go get the training. I, I look who, again, who are the giants that have, who have gone before me that know what they're doing. So I only go for accredited training. But doesn't that accredited training uh, tend to um, smash up against your, your it, PhD? It does. Yeah. Yeah, it does. Some, some of it does for sure. Because tra- like every training program has its limitations, right? So I look at, like I look at my PhD, it wasn't so much the in-class learning that was critical for me. It was the in-person practicum experience those are the people that I learned from. So I worked with people at the cancer center and um, in groups. Some of my clients died. That was my first exposure to, I'm working with palliative. Like I am, I am working with people who have, who, who have a shorter, shorter lifespan. And some, some of my clients died. And that was really, that was really hard for me. Yeah. And then, and then when I had a lump in my breast, during my practicum at the cancer center, it was a real life awakening and facing my own potential mortality. It was benign. There was there was nothing. I wonder if there I was some that. if there was some sort of um, because of where you were working. There was some of that. Not I don't mean like actually contagious, but I mean like just spiritually because you're in the world oh, of cancer. Well, and that's what I realized as part of my shamanic work and 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 gift is I feel in my body what's going on in other people's bodies. Yeah. And I've learned ways to check in and say, is this mine or is this theirs? If it's theirs, clear it. It was like a sympathy, a sympathy yeah. tuner tumor. Yep. Yep. Ex- exactly. So it was really, so it was fascinating that way. I, you know, there were some horrific things that happened in my, in my PhD that were traumatizing in themselves. But, oh yeah, just being shut down, being ignored when I was burning out. Like there was a point I was working 60, 70 hours a week. There was one week I worked 60 hours, did 25 hours of work for a prof on the weekend. So 12, 13 hour days on the weekend and then worked another 60 hour week. So I were, I literally worked like 145 hours in two weeks. That's, that's not okay. It's not okay. <laughs> in any way. You, and when you, I was, you can't do that and be well. No, I was not, I was not well. I was faking it. I was, I was faking it until I made it. I literally was ready to quit. And so here's, okay, so first of all, it was, I was really ill um, from burnout. And the traumatizing thing was I told my supervisor and I said, like, that was hard for me to do. It is hard to admit when you're not Because well. even in this world, there was still a stigma. Still a stigma. <laughs> Even and though this is the profession that you're in. Yes, it was. And I was informed that if I took a break or a leave or went part-time, that I would have to start all over again. So in my field of mental well-being, I was not mentally well because I was so burned out and exhausted. Nor from, were you supported. Nor was I supported. And so I took, I, I was allowed three days sick leave. So I took the three days off in a row and I prayed and I meditated. You know, I remember sitting in a circle with my, with a candle and some sage and all my angel cards around me. And I'm like, what do I do? And it became clear that I needed to quit for my own well-being. So I woke up the next morning and I was like, okay, I'm going to draft my letter of resignation. I opened up my computer, turned, got on my Gmail and I'd won 
I, my first email was that I had won a major national scholarship to complete my PhD. So that's when I said, fine, God, I'll finish. Fine. Somebody out there believes in me and what I'm doing. So fine, I will finish. But I was mad. Yeah. I was mad because it was hell. And so that's when, <laughs> that's when I um, developed my, I call it my sacred self-care portable package where I packed some angel cards and some crystals and some aromatherapy and a stress ball and some chocolate covered mango. And I carried it with me everywhere. It was my like little portable self-care. But my favorite thing was I'd found this antique ring. Um, it was an antique fork that had been turned into a ring. So Interesting. I, yeah. So I, I found one at a thrift store and I called it my fork U ring and I wore it for the entire rest of my PhD Silver? and I would, yep. And I would sit there and I'd twist it during, I think it was stainless steel actually, but I'd sit there and I'd twist it during these horrible meetings and just be like, fork, fork you, you, I'm out of here. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah. So then after my PhD, I was, I thought I was going to be a prof, a professor at the university and they called me for my interview and were explaining this process. And because I'd already done the Hakomi work, I was used to paying attention to the sensations in my body. And as, as this person is explaining what I needed to do for my interview, um, I wanted to throw up in my mouth. Like I could feel the bile rising. Your body was telling my you. My body was telling me. So the words came out of my mouth. Um, thank you for this opportunity, but I'm going to decline. And then I hung up the phone and thought, what the fuck did I just do? Because if your whole goal is to be like a leader in the field and be a professor and, and everything, and you walk away from it, what do you do now? So you traded an egoic goal for, yes. for um, to follow a spiritual path. Yes, that is, that is exactly what I did. And then at that moment, I just vowed to myself, I will only ever follow what feels right and good and true. Yeah. And it's led to some really amazing things. But I still, I st like, I know what I'm doing, but I don't know what I'm doing. Like, I know I trust myself to follow the next right thing that is placed in front of me. But I don't know what that is. Like, n if, if someone had told me 20 years ago that I was going to become a psychologist who did social advocacy work um, against our government, <laughs> I'd be like, what? That and doesn't someone, make sense. And if someone told me that I was going to be a psychologist advocating for psychedelic work and, and, doing, and doing shamanic and spiritual practices for healing, I would be like, what? It doesn't make sense to me. But now I'm like, oh, yeah, that makes total sense to me. I'm, I'm a I'm meant to be, I, I help people heal from trauma. I've been initiated into the world of, of psilocybin and, and sacred wood medicine. What do you think about ketamine? I don't know much about it. My deep philosophy is that plant medicine from the earth is more connecting and healing. However, I do know that people have benefited from, um, from, from ketamine, um, I was asked, actually asked to be, I was actually invited to be a clinical director for, an, for a clinic that is starting to use ketamine. And when I checked in with myself, the answer is no, your, your medicine is psilocybin. Is that truly or, or way found? 
Um, I'm not going to say. <laughs> <laughs> so it was one of the two. And I've been invited to, there's another organization as well. Um, so I've been, I've been invited to be part of a few different organizations and none of them are a deep gut fit. And, and honestly, there's a deeper reason for that for me. I do not believe this is a big business that needs to be, you know, I don't believe that this is a model to follow business and and make a quick buck off the newest thing designed to help people. And I'm not saying that that's what these organizations are doing, um, but I'm saying that is a possibility, just jumping on the latest wave. What? I believe this is a deeply healing spiritual medicine that needs strong ethics and deep understanding and the ability to help people navigate alternate realities. It's so difficult for academics to understand and to not dismiss the idea of think with not your head, but your heart. Mm-hmm. And they, they just can't get it. <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. they, they can't make that transition. They just roll their fucking eyes and because that's the training that's the academic training is is to, is to tell you uh, to think with your head and not your heart or and they don't even talk well, about it's your heart cbt model like yeah. it's part so if we look at the root of the word psychology it's psyche which is the soul and honestly i i believe that the profession got fucked up when it went under a psychiatric and medical model as what? part of a medical system can you uh, pinpoint sort of an era when that happened? It's probably a range, not a date, but... Um, of being taken over by the medical model? Yeah. Oh, yeah, early 1900s. Yeah, that's Absolutely. when when, every, With, when when MDs became MDs. Yes. And yes. Uh, it used to be everybody was an ND. Uh, every yes. every physician was, an, was a naturopath, the mm-hmm. doctor. Everyone in the world. And, uh, and then when, I think it was the Rothschild family, realized, you know... If we build this model where there's a pill for everything and for everything there's a pill, mm-hmm. shit that, you know, there's no end to the money. And mm-hmm. uh, then they, uh, they run the schools, all the funding, and, and Big Pharma and, and MDs grew together in symbiosis, mm-hmm. which is why mm-hmm. they shit on everything that is outside of their model. Well, I get doctors referring people to me saying, they need CBT, and I'm like, <laughs> no, they don't. <laughs> But if you think I do CBT, then go ahead and keep referring. Yeah. I actually do healing work. Yeah. <laughs> if people will let me in. It seems like uh, as part of uh, what I coined, the, and <laughs> I didn't coin it, uh, <laughs> but w- what I have been calling the Great Awakening for, for, for years and years, but now mm-hmm. it's kind of a catchphrase. Um, it seems like more and more academics or people with academic chops are coming into the holistic healing space. Mm-hmm. Like I'm seeing it more and more. Um, some because they just see a business model, uh, you know, with, with the ketamine clinics, but, well, but, but others yeah. because they are truly called to it's like, okay, why, why did I invest all this time into academia? Mm-hmm. It was, was it for my and ego money, don't forget and the, money. the title? No, I, I genuinely want to help people. Mm-hmm. Well, if I genuinely want to help people, I've got to kind of put my academia aside here and see, like, maybe there's something better than what I learned in the university. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and that's part of being a free thinker. It's part of, like, I mean, a PhD is a doctorate of philosophy. So 
I look at a lot of philosophy of healing. And if some of that includes shamanic work, if it includes the research and the spiritual practices behind psychedelics, then that's where I'm going to go and advocate for the best practices for, for people. And so it's intriguing to me that here I have all this training, all this experience, like triple ethics, well, quadruple ethics behind me. I've got my ethics as a psychologist. I've got my, you know, good old Catholic ethics, although I wouldn't, you know, credit the religion. It's more the spirituality behind it. So I've got my spiritual practices. I've got my shamanic ethics. And boy, that that is deep. And then I also practice Iyengar yoga, which is like, so there's the, the, East Indian yoga yoga principles. So here I am, a registered person, and psychedelics are like the medicine that I want to offer and work with people is not yet legal. So it leaves me in a bind in that people go to unethical, potentially dangerous underground practitioners who throw some mushrooms at them and then leave them in the experience and... So tell they me, aren't able to integrate anything. Tell me how psilocybin can be dangerous. How how can it be done wrong? Well, it's not so much. Um, it can. So basically, it takes you through different levels. So first, there's a physical. I mean, it's a it's a neurotoxin, right? So there's a physical sensation. So it takes you through a physical sensation, and then it goes through a mental sensation where you kind of argue with yourself and wondering what's happening, and then. It goes through the ego where there's a fight against it. And then it goes down to an emotional level. So where where an experience can be harmful is if a person is not emotionally ready to face themselves. If they do not have coping skills, if they do not have supports um, to navigate through very difficult experiences. So I'll give you an example of that. So... I heard a story recently of one organization that um, was able to get a Section 56 for a palliative patient. They gave her the psilocybin pill and let her lie there for the experience, saying, oh, it's going to be life-changing. Well, what happened was this woman um, was faced with childhood trauma, and no one would hold her hand through it and say, you're going to be okay. And then a few weeks later, she died, having that traumatic experience and not actually having the healing experience around it. And so, to me, that's dangerous, and that's harmful. It, it causes harm. And the first thing of being, you know, being a healer is do no harm. Yeah. The other, the other dangerous thing is people going and having their own experience, and, and it can be profound. Like it can be a beautiful experience. Um, and then thinking that they can just offer it to others and, and hold space and sit with them without having the ethics and training behind them. And so that's, you know, I can't wait for it to be like, I'm, you know, going, I'm working, going to be working with an organization called Therasil out of BC that is lobbying the government, um, doing training for registered professionals. Like we need to take this very seriously. It is not. Like, although underground work has brought it to the forefront, in order for it to be legalized, it does need to be professionals who understand it, who can who can help. And it's not it's not meant to be done in a clinical setting where you lie on a white bed and are given a pill or an infusion and then you're done. 
I saw just yesterday or the day before a a post that um, psilocybin is now under very constricted um, guidelines, uh, has been legalized for trial. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. So, like in in Canada, like yes. here, yeah. So that's yeah, good. Therasil is one of the leaders in that, and then there's Maps Canada as well that do, that does that. Um, well, I would love I would love to be part of a clinical trial for that. Oh, yeah. um, to be one of the facilitators, well, and well, to write about the human experiences with it. There's the um, artificial psilocybin. Mm-hmm. That's not the right word, but um, well, it's isolated. So yeah. they've isolated. They've isolated the psilocybin away from the other properties of the mushrooms. And, excuse me, so some people do have, you know, physical effects from the mushrooms that the isolated psilocybin takes that away. Um, so there is, there is definite benefit. I'm, I think the mushrooms themselves, I'm, though, because the mycelia, all of yes. it, like, like the, the mushroom itself, if you take a natural mushroom, the, the academic pushback is always the same. Um, well, we can't possibly get a precise dose. It's like you can't overdose on it. No, like it's you don't I mean, need you a precise may have dose. Some pretty tremendous experiences if you take a tremendous amount. But but, but it's but only it's, not, it's six hours and it's gone. Six like, hours and it's gone. It's yeah. through your system. And even if you have a psychotic break because of it, if you have somebody there to walk you through until you come down off it, like you're you're good. Well, and Mike's and who's to say? Like, honestly, who are we to judge someone else's internal psychic experiences? Mm -hmm. Like, what may be considered a psychotic break in the human realm? You know, these people were actually revered and honored in in shamanic cultures as having connections to the spirit realm. So what are we talking about here? Like, uh, when I said psychotic break, what what came to your mind Um, as an example of that? Well, like... Um, so psychosis and experiences in another realm is okay. what comes to mind for me for that. You know, um, hearing hearing other hearing other voices, um, noticing other entities, um, believing like being deeply connected, and but there can be psychotic breaks that can lead to potentially harming other people, right? So it's it's walking that fine line of what is what is dangerous. And what is an internal experience? What's your view of uh, schizophrenia? Do you think that there's a chance that some people, uh, that it's not just in their head, they actually are hearing real other voices? Or is it just, uh, or is it just too hard to oh, say? That's not my area of expertise. Okay. So, but honestly, from a shamanic realm, and, and my own experience with, with what I talked about before with the spirit of suicide, like someone might look at that and say that might've been psychosis. But I look at it and say, no, I was visited by the spirit of suicide and Mm -hmm. I, I understand where, where it comes from. So some, somebody might look at me and say, well, that was psychotic. Well, yeah, probably running away from my husband into the woods and finding a sunny spot to yell at God was, (laughs) might've looked not normal from a human experience, but internally, it was what I was led to do. So, who am I to judge? All all I know is, is can you have your internal experiences and be a functional human being that is able to look after yourself? That's my response. Don't be a dick. There you go. 
There you go. It's really the bottom line. Yeah. What's next for you? Uh, what uh, What do you got on the go? Um. Well, right now I'm start teaching at the university. So I teach a course in comprehensive school health. So it's basically teaching beginning teachers um, how to integrate health and wellness into their classrooms, again, with a focus on not causing harm. Right? Yeah. So I'm doing that. I have my private practice that I that I love working in. Um, also advocating the government. I don't know if you've seen or read the work I've done against this new curriculum, but as a psychologist who also was a teacher, this new wellness curriculum designed by Jason Kenney's buddies is actually going to cause significant harm to our children. And so I'm advocating strongly for experts to be involved. And I was just getting ready to close out, but now I got to ask <laughs> about this. Well, my wife's a school principal ah, uh, yes. at uh, lo- local middle school here. Mm-hmm. Uh, so what is it about this curriculum that is dangerous? Oh, well, for, first of all, so the first draft for 2018 was designed by over 350 experts, um, teachers, com- curriculum experts, community partners. We all had a weigh in on it. I remember, so 2017, I was asked to review it. And I stood up in a meeting with 150 other people and I said, this curriculum has an eating disorder. It looks like it was designed by a high school phys ed teacher. Because it was all about calorie counting, it was all about, um, you know, counting your macros, it was having kids in grade five design fitness programs, it was ridiculous. And I said, there needs to be a holistic approach that involves multiple dimensions of comprehensive school health. And by the way, on this document, you say there's First Nation, Métis, and Inuit perspectives, and yet I see nothing of that here. You say there's Francophone perspectives. I see nothing of that here. So what are you doing? And so they took that and they went back and they redesigned, they redesigned it, integrating like First Nation, Métis, Inuit elder and knowledge keeper um, teachings. They integrated Francophone teachings. It was based on physical, mental, emotional, spiritual, occupational, financial, um, and, and environmental well-being. So it was inclusive across the grades. When Jason Kenney came in and threw it out, um, it was basically replaced by the same shit of, oh, let's have kids in grade two design fitness programs. Let's teach kids in kindergarten how to weigh themselves, that mass is a measurement of growth. So what does that translate into? Um, Kids in kindergarten weighing themselves. So I sounded the alarm on that part of it. That is so dangerous. So dangerous. I sounded the alarm. I reached out to my MLA, and in 2019, when they came into power, I had a meeting with my MLA and said, please put my name forth as an expert. I really want to work on this curriculum. Crickets. Nothing. So the dangerous part is that it is designed by a very small group of people who are only going by Jason Kenney's direction of essential knowledge and skills. And it is not going to meet children's needs. From Jason Kenny, who's a pray the gay away guy from way back. Well, it's it's tragic what they've done in removing, um, and well, they call it parental choice, but it's it's basically abolishing the the gay straight alliances in schools. Um, yeah, because they don't so understand tragic. what they are. Yeah, and so there's in this one there's no gender identity. Um, if you even look at the foundation of the ministerial order of learning, it is based on the Catholic values. 
which although there are very good human values, they're very limited. And our minister of education was a Catholic school trustee. And so it's really, there's something going on behind the scenes that is much deeper. And, and so we need to put a stop to it and just say, no, this is not the curriculum for Albertans. This is not the curriculum for the next 30 to 40 years. It, it is going to cause harm. It's all so regressive. Oh, it, it's very regressive. And the fact that our government is ignoring the 99% non-confidence vote in the Minister of Education, the hundreds, or not hundreds, um, there's about 40,000 people in the Albertans Reject the Curriculum Facebook group. There's the Academic Analysis website, so the Alberta Curriculum Analysis website that I'm a steering committee member of, with all the experts saying, this is dangerous, and this is harmful, and this is not good, and our government is pushing it through. So that's why like I did a timeline of all the changes, a timeline, a media timeline of, of what is happening. And so, you know, this is one of the things that I'm called to do. I don't have my own children. I don't have, like, my husband's got two boys in school, but they're in high school. They're going to be gone beyond this. But this is the blend of me being a teacher, me being a, a, a psychologist, um, me knowing that there's a deeper a deeper and a better way of educating our children. And this regressive, dangerous curriculum is not it. So, yeah, I'm advocating hard about that. And there'll be, there'll be more coming out for sure. So the other thing is I've been invited to work with Theracil and advocate um, nationally and provincially for the use of psilocybin and psychedelic therapy as, as a treatment modality. And why are we leaving it just, like, why is Health Canada leaving it for Section 56s for palliative cases when it can benefit so many people who feel called to do this medicine um, and, and create a better, stronger, healthier society? It's getting better. The, uh, mm-hmm. they're, they're still, for, for people that don't know, they still are looking at psilocybin like it's crack cocaine. And uh, it, that's the challenge. And it, yeah, and it and it's it's not. It's it's not addictive. No, it's, it's uh, not. You can't overdose on it. I guess I I have used because I like I've taken the medicine because I well I've I've always been a risk taker, and I'm always curious, and I refuse to do anything that is not that I don't personally find helpful. Um. So that's. So that's the next area that I'll be going into is advocating for psychedelic therapy and advocating it, advocating for there to be choice in it, whether it's a natural mushroom or whether it is, you know, whether it is the, the derivative, um, people can have their choices, but I firmly believe that it is about the therapeutic relationship in which the person does the preparation work, um, is safe in the journey itself and has the proper supports for the um, for the integration work after. So preparation and then integration is where is where I can work right now. Um, and so yeah, so it's adv- advocating for that and just knowing that I've been called to do this work and bridge the realm between psychology and the spiritual realm because it's real. <laughs> We are spiritual. Mm-hmm. That is what we are. We're beings of light. 
And um, for everybody that just dismisses that out of hand as woo-woo, it's like, well, I guess you're just not there yet. You're not you know, there it, yet, and that's, that, and that's that's okay. okay. That's okay. That's okay. You know, and you're talking to the good little Catholic girl who never touched drugs ever. This is not a drug. It's this not. Is, it's medicine. This is a plant healing medicine. Yeah. It's not a drug. And there's more and more and more of it. I was just seeing on LinkedIn all of the psilocybin companies that are uh, coming out. And it's so encouraging because <laughs> if, if, if synthetic was the word I was looking for. Yeah, synthetic. So mm-hmm. if synthetic psilocybin it becomes commonplace and legal everywhere, then the mushrooms are just naturally to follow. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I'm yeah. I'm good with the synthetic psilocybin, even though I'm not interested in it myself. Mm-hmm. I'm interested in the actual mushrooms yeah. because I there's something about it that will I think you'll get a better experience, more powerful experience. Well, and and look at it. You're you're drinking a coffee right now. I've got the huckleberry tea. Everything that we ingest into our bodies changes our physiology. It changes us. It it either nourishes us or it harms us. Like that's that's it. And so, you know, like I work with eating disorders. I work with people who overuse food in order to change how they're feeling inside. I work with people who underuse food. Um, I'm not an addiction specialist, but I certainly understand if life is overwhelming and you want to take a substance to try to feel better, of course you're going to do that. So why not take a natural substance that is meant to heal and change the change the neurology of your brain to come into more greater focus and greater well-being the one of the greatest paradigm shifts that needs to happen for people to understand is that drugs are either used to heal or to cope yes and people look at homeless or drug addicted homeless or drug addicted people in general and they shit all over them mm-hmm. And and label them as oh you're a you're a fucking druggie, mm-hmm. and like it's so cruel, it's so incredibly cruel to. Um, but people are always in such a rush to take the opportunity to shit on somebody so that they feel superior. You're a druggie, and I'm not. Therefore, I'm better than you. But and then they blame the drugs mm-hmm. for the for the druggie. It's the trauma, you dipshit. It's the trauma. It's the trauma. It's the trauma and lack of connection and lack of supports. Lack of connection. That's Mm -hmm. it. Lack of connection to society, to your family, to yourself, to your Mm -hmm. spirit, to um, that lack of connection is the injury. It is the injury. (laughs) You know, and and, and that's it. So if, if people would just stop, just grow a little, mature a little, have some empathy and some compassion, look at homeless people, as people mm-hmm. look at um, uh, anybody with with mental health issues, which is everybody, <laughs> it's uh, five out of five. We're all we're none of us have post traumatic stress right now. All of us have in traumatic during traumatic stress right now. Yeah, we're in it. We're in it collectively. You know? We are, and and for those that are um, really bothered, like we're we're all feeling each other's energy. Mm-hmm. You know, so there's the uh, secondary traumas in in addition to our primary traumas. Um, everybody. Yep. Right. Well, and if you, so for me, it's not like people think of post of PTSD as a physical trauma. Like you were, you were a veteran, you experienced war. 
for me, it is a deeper trauma of humans betraying humans in terrible ways. Like sexual assault is a betrayal of, of power. Yeah. Um, war is a betrayal of, of connection with each other. It's a betrayal of understanding. It, it, it's all about betrayal. I'm not a huge um, believer in the DSM because there, there, there's so many... I'm a psychologist. Fuck the DSM. Yeah, fuck the DSM. Because uh, what, it does provide a useful tool to get people supports and treatment, but other than that, when people tell me, "Oh, I've got this and this and this," I'm diagnosed with this. I'm like, mm-hmm. "What's your trauma?" Uh, so uh, tell what, our audience what what, what, what DS, DSM stands for. So the DSM is the Diagnostic and Statistical Manual for Mental Disorders. It's now on its fifth revision because they keep changing things. But like, the reason they're changing it's, it's the same as engineers. Okay, every freaking ring knocker. Okay, yeah. uh, these engineers, every ring knocker wants to be the inventor of something. Every one of them. Oh, don't even get me started on right? the competition in clinical psychology for owning a treatment. Oh, yeah. Everybody oh wants to own a treatment. They want to own a new diagnosis. Everybody wants to be the discoverer, the founder. It's like an astronomer. Every astronomer wants to find mm-hmm. something in the sky that with their name on it, right? So every single fucking academic every one of them wants to for their ego to to discover something new which is why the dsm keeps changing mm-hmm. it's like i found me a new disorder look i got one or like, or the understanding like the feminist movement helped change the diagnose diagnostic criteria for eating disorders because it was very okay so when i went so when I went to the doctor at 18 I brought an, a magazine article about anorexia and I went to my doctor and I said I have this. And she says, okay, I'm going to send you to a psychiatrist. Okay, so I'm 18 years old. I don't know shit. I'm 18. I'm a kid. So I go to the psychiatrist and he says, you don't have anorexia because you're not skinny enough. Oh my God. You're depressed. Here's some Prozac. So let's go back and look at that. Um, Here you have a starved little girl whose bone structure was such that She looked average, but yet she's starving herself on maybe 600 calories a day. Jesus. And exercising four hours a day to try to get smaller. And so my brain was starving, my body was starving, and he gives me Prozac, which then completely numbs me out. By the way, Prozac doesn't work for a starved brain. What I needed was nourishment. Yeah. So then that sent me down the path of, of seeking to understand the treatment for eating disorders. And boy, have we fucked it up. Because <laughs> it's, it's not, like, it is about the food, but it's not about the food. It's no, about the it's hurt. About the, it's about it's the about trauma. It's about the oppression. It's yeah. about the silencing. Yeah, it, it's funny. Uh, every scientist knows that correlation doesn't mean causation. No. And yet, in the, in the world of psychology, they don't seem to know that they, yeah, they, they, really they deal with they, they treat the correlation mm-hmm. instead of treating the causation which is this exactly what's wrong with psychiatry dopamine you know it's like well your dopamine's low so we'll give you more dopamine uh or serotonin no you fucking moron my my dopamine yeah. or serotonin is off because of the trauma mm-hmm. you know it's like it, Although, you're on the wrong end of the stick here well so for, for me, it's both and. 
It's balancing because there is a time and a place that medication is helpful. Absolutely. Absolutely. But it needs to be combined with proper supports, proper treatments to help people come off of the medication. Yeah. Because some, you know, in, in order, like, yes, there are some some treatments that we, we need. Like if schizophrenia is not, is not fully managed and not fully supported, yes, medication can definitely help. Same with, same with unmanaged bipolar definitely can be very helpful. Um, PTSD to get the nervous system initially calmed down. Yes, that can definitely be helpful, but But it's not the cure. It's not the cure. It's not the cure. Yeah. And that's what I'm saying. And getting to know yourself. Yeah. Um, forgiving, being connected to yourself, to others, to spirit, recognizing your path in life. Those are the healing modalities. There's so much conflict between uh, psychology and psychiatry. Yeah, it's, oh, and, and here's it's just the order when I, when I So I used to work at Burns and Trauma in foot, at, at the Foothills. Um, I got PTSD from that job, from vicarious trauma, because holy cow, whew, that was a lot to deal with. But here was the order. There was the hierarchy for, for me in my position as the psychologist. It was surgeon, um, surgeon, nurse, physiotherapist. So like physio, occupational therapist, recreational therapy was all in the same, same, same type of category. Um, janitor and then me. Because if the janitor needed to mop the floor in the room, I was kicked out of the room so the janitor could do their job. That was the order of hierarchy. And that's the root of all assholes is ego. There you go. And and ego is what's causing all of that. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I heard a psychiatrist, uh, and it's funny. Um, don't get me wrong. I, 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 won't, I won't give a, uh, a hint of, of who it was. And don't or, get me wrong. A lot of the people I worked with were great. Yeah. Like, uh, absolutely. Yeah, sure. But there were... You know, to be said, to be told, the janitor needs to clean, so you need to leave. Well, I holy, I heard a psychiatrist shitting on psychology as saying, "Well, all the psychologist is you're paying somebody 180 bucks an hour to be your friend." And uh, not your like, friend. Uh, yeah, that's I. Whew, I'm sorry that that's your perspective. You know, um, that's. But 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 that that is how one group will diminish another. My sister's a physiotherapist, and they will shit on chiropractors, you know. And um, uh, ah, they're a bunch of quacks, and they're still doing that instead of working together. Or one modality will will fight the other. I'm about modality. to tell a colleague off for shitting on homeopathy and natural nat- naturopathic medicine, because frankly, homeopathy and naturopathic medicine had helped me more than allopathic medicine. So don't shit on something that you've don't know. Well, it's the definition of ignorance, right? Is mm-hmm. is rejecting information without investigation. So crapping on something without knowing a damn thing about it. Oh uh, yeah. And people are so quick to do that. Oh, there's people that jump on me about shamanism and I'm like, you don't know. And I work very like I work extremely well with people. So I'm just gonna like that's how I live my life. I'm just gonna be off in my own little corner doing my own little thing and if people come my way and want help, then I'll help them. Otherwise, I'm going to walk my dog and make pottery and um, play the piano <laughs> and write my book. <laughs> well, when your book's done uh, or, or getting closer, you know, we'll have you back on, I hope, and we'll Amazing. talk about your book and, and, and promote that. And uh, take me up on the offer to, to, to connect oh, you're you. On, you're on the hook. Yeah, absolutely. 
at, um, thanks for being here today. Thank you for having me. This has been fun. It's been so fun. And um, uh, different kind. I've really enjoyed this episode because we're uh, we're just being real, mm-hmm. you know, which tends to be a lot of the uh, conversations I have. But uh, we're just on another level today, which yeah, is just r- really great. Two two humans working things out, just trying to figure it out. Yep, that's it. Awesome. All right, thank you for being here. You're welcome. You are listening to Operation Tango Romeo, the Trauma Recovery Podcast for veterans, first responders, and their families. Hey everybody, thanks for tuning in. Now I've got a favor to ask you. And I know everybody asks for the same favor, but it's really, really important. If you can help, do your little bit by going to Apple Podcasts, leaving a rating and a comment. That would be awesome. Also, on your favorite podcast platform, whether that be Spotify, Anchor, Google Podcasts, or whatever floats your boat and blows your hair back, please click follow and if there's an option there for rating please do so and this is why every time you click like leave a rating leave a comment what happens is that it makes it easier for other people to find this podcast the help that you can't find doesn't help at all so help other people find this so that they can help themselves thank you thank you thank you and as always share share like the sugar bear because sharing is caring Thank you.